The Word of God says this in Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the Word of God. And Paul's been teaching us, just as we've seen repeatedly in these last few weeks, ever since we began chapter 4, to walk worthy of the calling that is ours in Christ Jesus. Reference to our walk, he's talking about our conversation, our daily life, the conduct uh, of our lives. Everything that we're commanded to be as Christians, I want you to hear me well when I say this, everything that we're commanded to be as Christians Christ is already. And he lives his life through us as we yield ourselves to him. If you are in Christ, you have been made a what? A new creation or a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, why is that? It's because the very Spirit of God has been placed inside of you. The life of God dwells in you. If you're in Christ, you've been made a new person. He has given you His Spirit. The very life of God resides in you and seeks to have full control of your life and the life of every Christian. We looked in the first part of this <clears throat> chapter, the command that we've been given to walk in love. He said just that in, in verse 2. He says, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. So we're commanded to walk in love, but know this, God is love. The Spirit of God is in us if we belong to him. Thus, he gives us love to live and to walk in. That makes sense, right? Last time we looked at this, in verse 8, we saw the command to walk in light. He says just that, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So you're commanded to walk in light. Well, listen, God is light, the Bible says, and in Him is no darkness at all. The Holy Spirit of God has been put inside of you if you belong to Him. Thus... God gives us light to live and to walk in. So everything that God commands us to be, Christ is, and in our union with Christ, He lives it out through us. And so now we come in this passage to verse 15, and He begins to talk about walking in wisdom. And I'll just go ahead and tell you up front, before we spend half an hour on it, the same principle applies. That God is wisdom. He has all wisdom. His spirit is in you. Therefore, as his child, he gives you his wisdom to live in and to walk in. 
He gives that command there in verse 15. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Don't walk as a fool, but walk in wisdom. Now, that seems to make common sense. Nobody wants to be a fool. We'd much rather be people who are marked by wisdom. But I want you to know this and, and know it well, that biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, has little to nothing to do with your level of education. It has little to nothing to do with your intellectual powers. Can anybody say praise God for that? That's good news for some of us. That you don't have to be uh, the smartest person in the county or have the best education in order to be a person who can walk in wisdom. That's not the standard. Wisdom is rooted in how you relate to God and how you respond to your knowledge of Him. How are you spending your time with the Lord? How are you responding to what God is teaching you in His Word? Psalm 14.1, you know this verse well, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, we live in Surrey County. There are people who will say there is no God, but there are more people among us who would at least acknowledge, give lip service to the fact that there is a God. Would you agree with that? But the fool has not said with his lips there is no God, what the psalmist says, but he says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Now, there are plenty of people who will give lip service to the fact that there is a God. They'll acknowledge that there's something or someone out there bigger than us, greater than us, who has power. But in their hearts, they live as if, as if he does not exist. You see, the fool, yes, is one who walks around and says, oh, there's no God. Because how could you look at creation and say there isn't? There's a creation, therefore there must be a creator. We didn't come from Nothing. And even if you go with the theory that two specks of dust rubbed together just right and the whole thing exploded and here it is, where did the two specks of dust come from? So yes, you have those, but the fool that the Bible speaks of is the one who in his heart has lived his life, has made up his mind that his conduct has little to nothing to do with the fact that there is a God. There are people who sit in churches Sunday after Sunday who claim to be Christians who are fools because in their hearts they live and they say there is no God. And the conduct of their lives show it. And Proverbs 1.7 says, on the other hand, though, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or of wisdom. If you want to have wisdom, it doesn't start with the textbook. It doesn't start with your IQ. It starts with the fear of God. And that has to be the foundation, the fundamental principle on which your wisdom comes is the fact that you know who he is and you fear him. That holy reverential fear of God. Every Christian, listen, every Christian, how many Christians? Every Christian, just making sure you're here, every Christian has access to the wisdom of God as it is a gift that he promises to give to all who ask of him. No Christian has to go through life without wisdom. That's encouraging. Because he says this in James 1.5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, does anybody feel like they lack wisdom? I'll raise my hand. Yeah. 
if anyone lacks wisdom, okay, he's talking to you. You ready? Let him ask of God. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you want wisdom, do you know what you have to do? Ask. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you have been born again, the Spirit of God is in you, and you want wisdom, all you have to do is ask. In faith believing, he says, believing that God meant what he said when he said he would give it, and he will give it. elements of walking in wisdom. And, and for you note takers, just in case I miss it along the way, I'll go ahead and give them to you up front. You ready? The first one is redeeming your time. Redeeming your time. The second is understanding God's will. The third is being filled with the Spirit. So here are these essential elements of walking in wisdom. This is what it looks like to walk in wisdom. Firstly, redeeming your time. He says in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now that word redeem, it literally means to buy up or to ransom. Usually when we think of redemption, we think of uh, when, when a, a, a someone would have been purchased, maybe who was on the slave market. We use this kind of language when we talk about Christ saving us, how that we were slaves to sin and he purchased us with his own blood. He died for our sins, he rose from the dead and he bought us to himself and set us free. But you all know from your own experience, you cannot buy time. You can only what? Spend it. And we've spent a whole lot of it. So what does he mean when he, he talks about redeeming time? Figuratively, when, when the word is used like it is here, it, it means to rescue from loss or to improve an opportunity. So the point that Paul's getting at here when he says to redeem the time, he's talking about making the very best use of the opportunity you have before you. This word that he uses for time is a very specific season, a set time. You have a set number of days that you will live and you don't know how many it'll be. God knows your end from your beginning. He knows the number of hairs on your head, how many times your heart will beat in your lifetime and how many breaths you will take. But you don't know. You have a set time to live. And Paul says, if you're going to walk not as a fool, but as wise, you will redeem the time. Make the very best use of the opportunity that you have. No one denies that the days are evil. Anyone here want to argue with me about that? We'll debate it on the platform. Are the days evil? Yeah. Guess what? He wrote this 2,000 years ago. They were evil then. They've been evil ever since. And you know what they'll be if the world goes on for 2,000 more years? Evil. The world is broken. It's in ruin because of sin. 
And that's the reason, that's the why that he gives for redeeming the time. The days are evil, so we must make the most of every opportunity to make God known and to do his will. We must not waste our time on trivial things. In, in work that I used to do, I was in and out in people, of people's houses a lot, and, and there, would be, there would be people who would maybe come to retirement, and they're happy to, to you know, hang up their job and to have the time off, but they waste it. And every time I would see them, they'd be sitting in front of the television, usually with CNN or Fox News, and whichever one you like, they're, they're both just there to make you mad. And, you know, it's just a waste of time to live your life for that. The days are evil. We only have a set number of days, a limited amount of time to make God known, to do His will, and we cannot waste our lives on trivial things. That's picking on the retirees. But listen, everybody knows that it's the tendency of younger people to waste time. Because there's so many things in the world that seem more important. Because we've got plenty of time, so we think. So it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, you have to make the best use of your time because you don't know how much time you have and the days are evil. There is work to be done. If you're walking in wisdom, you'll live with an awareness that your time on earth is short. People who live like they have an unlimited amount of time to live are those who tend to walk as fools, wasting the time that they have. James 4 says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You think you do. You've got some stuff on your calendar, but you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life, he says? It is even a vapor, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Somebody told Joel this year that um, however many fogs you had in August was how many snows you would have in the winter. Has anybody ever heard that? Okay, so that was the first time I'd ever heard that. So every day on the ride to school, you know what he's doing? He's looking for fog. And if there was just the least little bit of fog down in a valley, like near a pond or something, he said, that counts. Like, that's, that's a fog. We're, so we're up to like 14 snows for the winter, in case y'all want to know. Um, but you just, you know, you're looking for it everywhere, everywhere you get. But you know what happens just as soon as the sun comes out? Whether it's a lot of fog or a little, what happens to that mist? It's gone. You do good to make it to lunch. And James says that's what your life is. It's a vapor, a mist, a fog. It's here for just a little while. And then it's gone. Let me say this to those of you who are young. Matthew, Joel, Colt, Luke, Dylan, and all the rest of you. If you identify as young. Use your whole life to love and serve the Lord. Use your whole life from this point on to love and serve the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon wrote this. He said, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come, 
Because there's a time in life when it feels like you have forever. There's so many things you want to accomplish. But if you want to live wisely, follow the words of the wisest man who walked the earth besides Jesus and remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Now, to the rest of you who are not young. Now is no time to quit and it is not too late to start. If you've been faithful in loving and serving the Lord throughout your life, let me just encourage you with this. It is no time to quit now. There is no retirement in the work of God. Your role may change. Job descriptions may change. Your work may look differently. But there is no time to quit. And if you find yourself in the stage of life where you say, I'm not young anymore, and you haven't been faithful, you haven't lived your life for the Lord, listen, use what time you have left to please him, to love him, to serve him. Make the words of Jesus your own. In John 9, 4, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Listen, the days are evil. Night is coming. Work while it is day. I used to have a boss who said, we make hay while the sun's shining. You work every chance you get while you can because a day is coming when you won't be able to any longer. Redeem the time. The days are evil. Walk in wisdom. The second thing is understanding God's will. Understanding God's will. Verse 17, he says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you're going to walk in wisdom... Your agenda has to be in line with God's agenda. Your will needs to fall under the submission or fall into submission to God's will. And we must understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, God is infinitely wise, and the things that He desires to do must become the things that we desire to do. Understanding the will of the Lord, listen to me, it's not as difficult as people make it out to be. We hear that sometimes, right? I just want to know what the will of God is. I'm just trying to find the will of God like He's hid it behind the tree or something. If I could just find out the will of God, you can. You can understand what the will of the Lord is. If you want to know the mind of God, fill your mind, friends, with his word. You don't have to wonder what God thinks about things. He gave you a book. He wrote it down so that we could know his mind and his heart and fill our minds and our hearts with what he knows and what he desires. You don't have to know everything that God knows about your life. You don't have to know everything God knows about the future. You just have to know where you are right now and what he wants you to do next. You just have to take that next step that he has shown you. He'll take care of the rest. Understand what the will of the Lord is, and you can do that by going to his word. Can I just give you a sampling of some things that the Bible says is God's will for you? I mean, there's some stuff in here that's really straightforward. You ready? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
So what is God's will for you? Well, it is God's will that you repent and be saved. Friends, if you're living apart from God, if you're walking in the course of the world and, and for yourself and you, you don't, you've never been born again, God's will for you, first of all, is that you should repent and not perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do you get that? You repent. You say, Jesus, I believe what you did for me. I let go of my life. I let go of my sin, myself, my self-righteousness, my own goals, and I lay hold of you. I believe that you died for me, and that's enough. Here's my life. That's God's will for you, that you repent and not perish. Here's another one, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. For this is the will of God. Okay, he just set us up. We know exactly what he's going to say next. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You know what God's will for you is? It is God's will that you be sanctified, purified, and put away your sin. See, here's the thing. It's a reality, whether you like it or not. You can become a Christian, be born again, and then let sin creep right back into your life. Now, if you belong to God, he's not going to let you stay there. He's going to be trying to prune that stuff and purge you and get rid of it. But that is God's will for you, that you be sanctified, that you be purified, that you be putting away sin. Let me give you one more. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will for you to have a constant prayer life that includes rejoicing and thanksgiving. So if you want to know what God's will for you is first, make sure you're a Christian. Make sure you've repented and put your trust in Jesus. If you want to know what God's will for you is, seek out the sin in your life and destroy it. Be sanctified. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Pray. Pray without ceasing. And while you pray, don't forget to rejoice and give thanks. This is God's will for you. That's not hard, is it? Now, other things come along, and, and there's specifics that you've got to figure out. But if you focus on the things you know, God tends to let the other things fall into place and make those things clear. And if you want to walk in wisdom, you have to adjust your will to his. If you're going to walk in wisdom, we must set the purposes we have for our lives aside. Walking in wisdom necessitates a life of being purified by God, studying his word, and seeking him in prayer. Only then can we understand what the will of the Lord is. So walk in wisdom and understand his will and do it. Third thing. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. He says in verse 18, he says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to spend more time on this concept of being filled with the Spirit next week. But for today, let's look at how it relates to 
walking in wisdom in the context because this is absolutely necessary. You hear me? Being filled with the Spirit is absolutely necessary for walking in wisdom. See, he contrasts being filled with the Spirit here with being drunk with wine. Now, why would he do that? Um, just go ahead and shoot straight while it's here. The scripture consistently condemns drunkenness and calls it sin. Okay? So if you're prone to drunkenness, it's a sin. Stop it. So do not be drunk with wine, he says, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In this context, I don't think Paul is making a case about drunkenness in a general way. That's not really the point that he's getting at here. But he's contrasting with the ways of the pagan practices that were taking place in Ephesus at the time. One of the gods they worshipped there was Bacchus. And to worship Bacchus and to commune with the gods and to know their will, in other words, to get wisdom from them, what do you have to do? Get drunk. Go to the parties. Go through the rituals uh, in some drunken state. And the idea was that if you reached a certain level in your mind, you know, we think about people being drunk and they get stupid, right? But they had this idea that you get drunk and it brings you up to this level where you can commune with the gods. And you can learn their will and what they want you to do and get wisdom. So Paul comes along to the Christians who are living right in the thick of all that. And he says, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. No, you don't need to be drunk with wine. You don't need to be filled with wine. If you want to walk in wisdom, you need to be full of God himself. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. To walk in wisdom, you don't have to be under the control of wine or any other substance for that matter. You who lived through the 60s and 70s, you might have had some encounter with that. It wasn't wine. But this idea that you could reach a, another level, right, of, of enlightenment through certain drugs and practices. It's not all that foreign, is it now? Now, I don't know how many of you are going out and getting plastered on the weekends. I have a feeling it's not very many of you. But here's the idea. Whatever it is that you think you're finding wisdom or learning how to walk, uh, walk and live your life the way you should from... That's not what you need. What you need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The number one need that we need in our church right now is for every single Christian to seek God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that 100%. I think that's our number one need. Drunkenness only leads to sin. How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? How do, you, how do you get that? Don't you already have the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, you received the Holy Spirit when you were born again. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's how you have your union with Christ. But we must live in this, this constant state of walking near the Lord and being filled continually with the Spirit. D.O. Moody used to say we need to be filled with the Spirit because we're leaky vessels. We might feel close to God one day and we might be full of the Spirit one day, but then sin creeps into our lives and we start to drift away from Him. And it's a continual need. So how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's the short answer from Jesus. You ready? 
Luke 11, 13, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, what? Ask him. This is really complicated stuff, right? You want wisdom? What do you got to do? Ask him. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What do you need to do? Ask. Now, we could go on a tangent about why don't we? Why don't we ask? I think sort of a summary of that might be is that in order to be filled with the Spirit, you have to be emptied of yourself. And that's not something we want. We like the things we have in our lives. But we must be emptied of ourselves, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know the hymn, Be Thou My Vision? We'd all sing it a lot because it's, it's got some funky language in there, okay? Um, some of that stuff, you sing it and you think, what did I just say? Let me read you the second verse. I'll go slow, okay? Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. So we're asking God, you be my wisdom. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we are ever with him, and he is ever with us? Yes. If we have his spirit. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son, thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. So this finishes right where we started. If you've been born again, you have been united with Christ. You have the Spirit of God in you. He is your wisdom. And all you have to do is simply access that wisdom, and you do that by redeeming the time, Understanding the will of the Lord, being filled with the Spirit, and you get these things by simply asking. Simply asking. I asked this question on Wednesday night. We pray for a lot of things. We pray for sick people. We pray for um, financial needs. We pray for our country. We pray for uh, all sorts of things, and those are good things we should be praying for. He says, he tells us in his word to pray about everything. But I wonder, now you think yourself personally right now, how long has it been since you prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you have ever prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how consistently do you pray for that? You see, it's a command that he's given be filled with the Holy Spirit. And a command, an imperative, is intended to be obeyed. Therefore, it is the duty and the delight of every child of God to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've been born again, you've been united to Christ, you are in Him, He is in you, the Spirit dwells in you. If you live your life full of the Spirit of God, fully surrendered to His control and His working in your life, you will be full of the wisdom of God. So here is, I think, the conclusion of the whole thing. Walking in wisdom is letting God fill every part of our lives with Himself. Walking in wisdom is letting God fill every part of our lives with Himself. We've talked about time. Does God have full control of your time? Is, does he fill your time? 
Yes, you've got a job. Yes, you've got to make money. Yes, you've got to take care of your family. You can even have some fun things on the schedule. That's fine. But does God take the priority in your schedule? Does God take the priority? Does he fill your time? We've talked about our agenda. We want to understand the will of the Lord, but God must fill our agenda, our want-tos, our plans, our purposes. Does God fill those? We ourselves must be filled with the Spirit of God, and when we are, it's going to affect every aspect of our lives. So we must pray. We pray for wisdom. We repent of those sins that we have allowed to creep into our lives, those priorities that we have that do not honor God. And we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take some time to do that now. Janet's going to come play. And you're all going to bow your heads. We're going to have some time for you to talk to God, you and him alone, right now. Ask him if there's anything in your life that you need to be emptied of. And if there is, confess it. Repent. Pray for wisdom. Pray for an understanding of his will. Pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would do these things that we've asked. Give us wisdom. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.